Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. Books. Where would we be without books? Where would we be without Dudo's Interbird? It's a rhetorical question, sir. But where would we be without books? From KCRW and KCRW.com, I'm Michael Silverblatt, and this is Bookworm. Today, it's my real privilege to be talking to Rita Dove. Do I have to say that she's a Pulitzer Prize winner? Well, I will. And that she has been the U.S. Poet Laureate. She's the only poet to be honored with both the National Humanities Medal and the National Medal of the Arts. She was awarded with the Gold Medal for Poetry from the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Her book is called Playlist for the Apocalypse. Um, As soon as we open the book, my friend and colleague Sean Sullivan said, what a great title. Rita Dove, can you tell me where that title came from for you? Michael, first of all, it's so great to be here on the program and talking with you again. Uh, I That title came late in the process of, of writing, of putting together this book, but it was with me all along. And that's because every time I would go out to give a reading, this is pre-pandemic times, of course, I would try to put together a list of poems to read that would would take the audience on a, on a journey that they could, it had a trajectory. And I called these lists playlists, uh, much like we do, you know, with music. And so when I was putting, when this book began to come together, let's put it that way, because I didn't really consciously put it together, the poems found each other. I, I realized that it was, in fact, a, a playlist for the times that we were we were living through. So that's where the title came from. I really intended it to be, and I've always felt that a, a playlist for the apocalypse will have its ups and its downs, and it will comfort you at times. Over the course of time, I've gotten to meet Rita and her wonderful husband, Fred. I've even separately gotten to hear their daughter, Aviva, lecture on art at UCLA. And so I feel like this is not just a poet I know and love, this is a whole family I've had the privilege and opportunity to know and love. And one of the people that I have liked best in the world, someone who I have been a mentor to. He's teaching poetry to engineers at NYU. These engineers not only are discovering that they love poetry as it is taught to them by the wonderful young poet Alan Felsenthal, they particularly loved a poem from Rita Dove's new book, and it's a poem called Mirror, and I may say that it does mirror itself. It's written in two columns that face each other mirror-wise. But these students 
The engineers fell in love with it, and I thought that the first poem I would ask Rita Dove to read is her poem, Mirror, from her book, Playlist for the Apocalypse. I will read the two sides of the poem. I'll first read it vertically. So I'll read the left-hand side first, and then the right-hand side. You will hear the words being repeated. They are, in fact, the lines mirror each other. Mirror, take this from me. My blasted gaze, sunken astonishment. Resolve memory and rebuild. Shame will dissolve under powder pressed into my skin. Oh, avalanche, my harbor. Can I look over you, pit and pustule, crease and blotch, without seeing you through you? If all I am, am I all? is, woe is me, the right-hand side. Mirror, this take from me. Gaze blasted my sunken resolve, astonishment. Shame will rebuild and memory dissolve into pressed powder under skin, my harbor, my avalanche. Oh, I can look you over blotch and crease, pustule and pit, seeing without you, through you. Am I all if all I am is woe is me? Wow. Rita, that was beautifully read. Thank you. Now, tell me, what inspired you to write a poem in two columns that would mirror itself? Like so many poems, I discovered that the the moment of inspiration happens in something quite small and and also totally unanticipated. You can't force this stuff into being. And I was really looking in the mirror. It was morning. I'm not the best soul in the morning. (laughs) This is not my time. And so I'm usually very grumpy. And I think I had to I had to go somewhere and. Uh, I, I stood in front of the mirror. This is the moment of truth. You know, you see your unvarnished face. And, and I said, it's time to paint it. It's time to put on the outside face. And in that moment, I thought, why can't this mirror talk back to me? How can I do that? I would like to have a poem reflect that. And suddenly I said, oh, my gosh, I've got to do this poem this way. This is playlist for the Apocalypse, published by Norton, an extraordinary book because it goes in many different directions. This book has treated itself to the opportunity to talk about our times, aspects of history, aspects of personal life, and it does see how history mirrors our personal life. Rita discovers, or at least reveals to us who don't know it, that the word ghetto was first used in reference to the place, the foundry, where the metallic shards were kept, where the Jews were sent to live during their years of prejudice in Venice. And what this book does 
is to show us our personal history corresponds to our global history. The last section of the book is a group of poems in which Rita Dove discovers that she has a form of MS and reveals to us that what I thought in an earlier book was an absolutely charming history of how she and her husband studied ballroom dancing. It's revealed in this set of poems that she studied ballroom dancing in order to regain her balance. In other words, that our personal history is constantly reflecting our decisions if we are writers. The form of a poem reflects the form that the poet takes because you haven't always been centrally a formal poet. What has attracted you again to form? Well, I think that every poem has its form. It announces or insists upon um, its own cage of music, its own rules. Some of these rules can be fixed, you know, beforehand. So, you know, as a sonnet, there are rules that you follow and you kind of give yourself over to them and, and see what happens within that kind of charmed cage. But but even a free verse poem, if if the poet is being honest and is being rigorous with herself, it has its rules. In other words, Michael, I think that I've always considered myself a poet who worked in form. It's just that the form moves around, you know, like jazz sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> one of the, I find that the form for me does not work unless I don't know it's there. In other words, I don't start out a poem saying it's going to be a sonnet. I, I start working on it and I look at the poem and say, this is a sonnet. Um, and then and then in the drafts, I, I realized that's the form it's trying to achieve. I realized when I was reading this book, Playlist for the Apocalypse, the very first poem establishes the fact that at the University of Virginia, where Rita has taught for many years, there was a man, he was born into slavery on the day that Thomas Jefferson died. For years, he was the bell ringer in the campus tower. And what we discover in reading this poem is that his ringing of the bell keeps the time, in other words, is the formal basis for life at the University of Virginia, as long as he is there, a black man ringing the bell. His name was Henry Martin, and I'm going to ask Rita Dove to read this poem because I think it's profound and beautiful and very, very moving. There's an epigraph to the poem from Henry Martin. Bell ringer, I am as true to that bell as to my God. I was given a name. It came out of a book. I don't know which. I've been told the great man could recite every title in order on its shelf. 
well, I was born and that's a good thing. Although I arrived on the day of his passing, a day on which our country fell into mourning. This I heard over and over from professors to farmers, even dual scarred students, sometimes in grand company remarked upon in third person, a pretty way of saying more than two men in a room means the third can be ignored as I was when they spoke of my birth and Mr. Jefferson's death in one breath, voices dusted with wonderment, faint sunlight quivering on a hidden breeze. I listen in on the lectures whenever I can, holding still until I disappear beyond third person. And what I hear sounds right enough. It eases my mind. I know my appearance frightens some of the boys, the high cheeks and freckles and not quite Negro eyes flaring gray as storm-washed skies back home. It shames them to be reminded. So much for book learning. I nod as if to say, Uncle Henry at your service. Then continue on my way through darkness to start the day. This is my place, stone rookery perched above the citadels of knowledge, alone with the bats and my bell, keeping time. Up here, molten glory brims until my head's rinsed clear. I am no longer a dreadful coincidence, nor debt crossed off in a dead man's ledger. I am not summoned, dismissed. I am the clock's keeper. I ring in their ears. And every hour down in that shining blistered republic, someone will pause to whisper, Henry. And for a moment, my name flies free. Now, that, to my mind, is a gorgeous and profound poem, and it really does give us how the life of this bell ringer, Henry Martin, continues at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, the life of the university's founder, Thomas Jefferson, a man who was, although known as the great man and whose death put the nation in sorrow, a man that we've come to know as a problematic figure in the history of race in America. That is to say, although one of the writers of the Declaration of Independence, he himself kept slaves and even had a child by one of those slaves. And this has always been one of the shocking truths about peoples, about our misbehavior. I come from a family of refugees who had to flee Russia out of because of religious reasons. They could not stay. We all, in our way, are refugees. Tell me what it has been like 
to teach, as you have for so long, at Thomas Jefferson's university? I came to the University of Virginia for many, some, some of them may seem conflicting reasons. First of all, because I recognized and admired the minds that I had met um, who were teaching here, who also were wrestling with and dealing with the legacy that Jefferson built and the shadows that he's left. But I also came because I felt that here, here every day, I walk through uh, what I consider America's great uh, schizophrenia, America's great divide. And that is this, the sense that we believe that we are the face of independence and yet we cannot even deal with our own past uh, where slavery and all sorts of prejudices, as you've said, and, 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 and dire consequences occur. So here, every day when I look out over the lawn, the academical village that Thomas Jefferson envisioned, you know, for this new country, and, and I look at that and I say, this is the dream and the reality is uh, somewhere in between that and, and all of the demons that are still not being addressed. So I wanted to, especially in the poem Bell Ringer, bring out this, this man who people wanted to think of as invisible and say, here we are, he's in your lives. We are, we are all in each other's lives. We are all keeping time um, in some way or another. That reminder keeps me, I, I don't know, I, I, I need to, to live the full truth, I guess you could say, at all times. It's, sometimes it's as painful as it can be, but that's where we are. If we don't address this, we are not going to survive as a nation. Yes, I completely agree with you, Rita. Tell mm. me, what is it like in the South now? I would say that since that time, there's been a, an incredible amount of improvement made. First of all, the it, at the university to recognize the conflicted character and the, the shadow sides of Thomas Jefferson, to acknowledge that slaves built the university. And then, of course, we have the events, uh, the August events in uh, from a few years ago when the um, neo-Nazis marched here and, and a person was murdered in that melee. And those events were a wake-up call for a lot of people here in Charlottesville who had comforted themselves with the idea that this was just a sleepy college town and we are so liberal. Where, you know, I have yet to enter a sleepy college town in the United States that that wasn't incredibly tumultuous underneath that surface. So I never harbored that 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 illusion. I'm Michael Silverblatt, and you're listening to KCRW's Bookworm. I'm talking with Rita Dove, and we're talking about her wonderful book, Playlist for the Apocalypse. We'll continue after this short break. I want to tell you about a new show from the Financial Times called Life and Art from FT Weekend, hosted by me, Lila Raptopoulos. Life and Art is twice a week. On Mondays, I have a guest on to talk about life and how to live a good one. 
Everything from winter travel to cooking to living more creatively. And on Fridays, we talk art. Two FT journalists and I discuss a piece of culture that's in the air. New music, movies, and more. Find life and art from FT Weekend wherever you listen. I'm Michael Silverblatt. This is Bookworm. And I'm talking with Rita Dove. Her book is Playlist for the Apocalypse, which connects the historical to the individual through poetry. An entire section of this book is brought to us by a witness. That witness, we come to understand, is the Statue of Liberty. And the sections of the poem come from the poem by Emma Lazarus that's at the base of the Statue of Liberty, the poem that begins, Give me your tired, your poor, and ends, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And the first two poems in this section, called A Standing Witness, begin with the titles, Beside the Golden Door, and the second, You're Tired, You're Poor that this is a book that witnesses all of our refugees, our slaves, our lost ones, our defeated ones, beautifully alternating between the public history and finally the private history of the pain that Rita went through discovering that she had MS. I wondered if you would speak about the union in this book between the historical and the personal. For me, the historical is personal, and the personal is historical. I've never felt I shouldn't say, well, I should say, yeah, disconnect. I never felt any disconnect. There is a divide, uh, obviously, between that history with a capital H and the personal. But what I really wanted to um, bring out or what I was trying to bring out in, in, in this book was how connected they are. The very personal poems in this book, it's, a, it's unusual for me to be quite so personal, I think, in my poems. I think I've always filtered my personal, well, my autobiographical elements, I guess you could say, uh, through um, either a lighthearted tone or through a persona. And when I was diagnosed with MS and spent some years relearning how to um, navigate, you know, both physically and and mentally, uh, in a way, uh, I thought to myself that that if I can write the poems that explain this, if if they if I feel that they are good enough, then I need to show this to the world uh, because these are the most private things that people wrestle with every day. And I've been incredibly lucky with my version of uh, multiple sclerosis. Um, I've managed it well. It has, it's arrested at the moment. Um, I deal with mostly the residual nerve damage, but, um, but the, the terror of, of every day having your body rebel against you, I realized was, had its 
counterparts in the larger world where we feel out of control and we don't know what's going to happen next, but whatever it is, we have to learn to manage it. I've discovered that the ballroom dancing was another way to relearn pressure on the floor and so regain my balance. I had a, a difficult time also just with the as the physical aspect of writing because the numbness in my fingertips and the agitation caused by the neuropathy there meant that I could no longer write uninhibited by hand, which is how I always did it. I'd start out with the physical presence, that feeling of the pen on the page and my hand would jerk. So uh, part of the reason why it has taken quite a while for me to publish another book was that I had to relearn how to write, how to get my emotions out. And um, that's, it meant that I had to learn how to, to ignore the, the shouting that a computer screen can do. And I had to get over that. I just had to say, okay, this is the way you're going to have to write from now on. So uh, the private struggles are, I think, mirrored in the ways in which we grope with our world today and try still in the midst of, let's say, our modern day apocalypse to still connect and to still strive to be our best selves. Well, Rita Dove, let me say, as I think you know, I've read all your work. I love reading your work. And I think this book, Playlist for the Apocalypse, is one of your very best books. It was a real thrill to read you again. And I want to thank you for being with me again today. It's always, for me, a pleasure to talk to you, but more than that, a pleasure to read and think about your work. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. It is, as always, a, an absolute delight to talk with you. Um, I, I treasure being able to talk about poetry with you. Thank you. I've been talking with Rita Dove. She's the author now of Playlist for the Apocalypse, published by W.W. W. Norton and Company. I want to tell my listeners that due to our pandemic, we are each taping remotely, so you may hear unusual sounds. You can visit kcrw.com bookworm for a podcast of today's show, also available at all podcast services globally and on demand with KCRW smartphone apps. I feel very, very fortunate to be able to produce a show like this, and you must understand that is the cause of KCRW. There are not other stations, not even NPR stations, doing programming like this, and I want to beg you to become a member of KCRW. I want to thank my wonderful Bookworm Show collaborators, Alan Howard and Sean Sullivan, and our terrific engineer, PJ Shahamet. I'm Michael Silverblatt. You've been listening to me talking with Rita Dove. Join me again next time on Bookworm. Bye. 
am a bookworm, he is a bookworm, she is a bookworm, we are all bookworms. Funds for Bookworm are provided in part by Lannan Foundation. This program is produced in the studios of KCRW Santa Monica. You can access archives of all Bookworm programs and podcasts, the most recent ones, at kcrw.com bookworm. The Bookworm themes were composed and performed by Ron and Russell Mayle of Sparks. about a new show from the Financial Times called Life and Art from FT Weekend, hosted by me, Lila Raptopoulos. Life and Art is twice a week. On Mondays, I have a guest on to talk about life and how to live a good one. Everything from winter travel to cooking to living more creatively. And on Fridays, we talk art. Two FT journalists and I discuss a piece of culture that's in the air. New music, movies, and more. Find Life and Art from FT Weekend wherever you listen.